Blog Talk Radio. The Four Persons Inc. is a federally registered and licensed 501c3 charity. Any use of any of our content without our permission is prohibited by law. Our purpose is evangelization, education, and social action. Please go to our website at thefourpersons.com or our blog site at thefourpersons.net to make your tax-deductible donation by credit or debit card. You can also send a check to The Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. To contact us, send us an email at email at thefourpersons.com. Welcome to the Saturday Burnt Toast and Coffee Show with apologist William Hemsworth on the Four Persons Network. William is passionate about teaching the faith. He is a convert that attended a Baptist seminary. He is a father and a catechist that will encourage you to live the faith, evangelize, and defend it. To call into the show, the number is 515-602-9655. Once again, the phone number to call into the show is 515-602-9655. Hey, good morning, everyone. William Hemsworth here. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Hope everyone is having a great Saturday. Hope everyone's having a having a happy new year so far. A lot going on here on my end. Uh, for those that don't know, I started the Bible Catholic Podcast Network at the start of the year. So far, we're up to five shows, including all the great content here on the Four Persons Network. More important than that, interacting with some great people online, and we're going to interact with an amazing individual today. Her name is Stephanie Gray Connors. Uh, she's an author and speaker who has presented on pro-life topics around the world. She has formally debated abortion, ad, abortion advocates, including Princeton philosophy professor Peter Singer and late-term abortionist Dr. Fraser Fellows. She has lectured at Google headquarters for the series Talks at Google and has written books on in vitro fertilization, abortion, and assisted suicide. On December 22nd, she released, she released an amazing new book through Emmaus Road, which is part of the St. Paul Center titled My Body for You, A Pro-Life Message for a Post-Row a World. And our guest today is Stephanie Gray Connors. Stephanie, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hello, Stephanie? All right. Hi. Hey, Stephanie, how are you today? Good. Nice to be on the show. I had earphones in, but for some reason it wasn't picking up my mic. Ah, you know, that's happened to me on more than one occasion. It happens. It's all good. (laughs) Technology is great when it works, right? That's right. (laughs) So how are your your holidays? How was your New Year? You know what? Really blessed. Uh, It was a busy fall, and so Christmas was a time to just really slow down and enter into the 
season with uh, my husband and daughter, and uh, it was extra special because I'm pregnant right now. And so experiencing Christmas when you've got a very burgeoning belly um, is all the more meaningful. Well, congratulations on that. That's amazing. Thank you. Absolutely amazing. Um, Before we get into your book, can you tell us a little about yourself and how you got involved in the pro-life movement? Sure. Yeah. So I have been working full-time speaking in the pro-life movement for over two decades But my beginnings were really as a young child, both my parents were involved in the movement. So I was really raised as a child activist. My mom volunteered at a pregnancy care center. So when her clients would give birth, I'd often accompany her to the hospital. And um, when she would do counseling, I would go to the office and doodle on pro-life letterhead while she counseled her clients. Um, And then in my first year of college, I'm originally from Canada. I now live in the States. But um, when I was in Canada at college, an American speaker named Scott Klusendorf came to a pro-life conference I attended. And he said, there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. And that was January 1999. And I became very convicted in my heart that weekend that I needed to be one of the people working full-time to save babies. So um, long story short, I finished my degree. Scott mentored me from a distance, and I began speaking and debating and doing apologetics in the pro-life movement. And I went full-time in 2001, and so that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and you've done a lot of great things. I mean, I'm on your web your website, which is loveunleasheslife.com. I encourage everyone to check it out. You've written a lot of great books. You have a lot of great talks on there. Now, your new book. Um, your, your new book that you just released, My Body for You, a pro-life message for a post-world world. Uh, what, was, what, what made you decide to write this book and why was um, late 2023, and of course 2024, the right time to bring it out to the world? Yeah, great question. So I would say two main reasons, of course, the significant Supreme Court decision, the Dobbs decision back in 2022, which overturned Roe v. Wade, um, you know, on one hand was a moment of celebration for the pro-life movement, but although we won a battle, the war is still raging because now we're seeing state by state intense debate going on with abortion, while some states, as a result of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, have um, made more protections for preborn children. Other states have broadened access and support for abortion. So there's a need to further equip people of goodwill to be able to engage as effectively as possible in the coming months and years and decades ahead as we continue to fight for full protections for the preborn. And my second motivation was I had spent, you know, 20 years professionally in the movement, you know, formally debating, coming from a very intellectual and academic perspective. Um, And then I was a late marriage. I got married at 40 um, and in the last few years have experienced six pregnancies, um, four of whom uh, I have lost four children through miscarriage and and they're in heaven. Um, And then I have a toddler and now this baby I'm pregnant with. And so my own experiences of pregnancy and motherhood, um, I think, have contributed to my insights now in the abortion debate. So I wanted to blend my intellectual experience with the more emotional maternal experience I've had in the last few years. Okay. Now, one of the things you talk about in your book is engaging with those pro-abortion activists. And like you just said, some states are broadening where they have abortion up until the time of birth. Um, How can we engage with these folks? 
Yes, well, I mean, we uh, several things. Where there is public discussion happening, we want to be contributing to it. So where there's online debates, where there's newspaper conversations and opportunities to submit pro-life perspectives, we want to do that. We also want to approach the gatekeepers. We have to realize that there are a lot of people to be reached in our own churches that are yet to be fully convinced abortion is wrong in all circumstances. And the gatekeepers really are our our priests and, and pastors of other denominations. And so going to them and equipping them to better preach on this subject or having them open their doors to pro-life speakers and messages coming in is really key so that we can equip the average person as to how we know pre-born children are human persons and therefore why they ought to have the same right to life uh, that you or I have. And then there's also a need politically, you know, obviously, um, I believe in making abortion unthinkable, whatever the law is, I don't want even if for it to enter into the heart of someone to consider it. But the law should reflect what's true and just and good. So along with making abortion unthinkable through education, it ought to be entirely illegal through public policy change. And so we need to work with our politicians and uh, make sure people of goodwill are elected and that they then make uh, good policy decisions. How can the average layperson in our parishes um, get involved in helping their parish, I guess, get more involved in the movement? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think definitely while we can look at a a larger level of a state level and a a federal level, we, we need to remember a lot can be done locally. So in one's church, for example, seeing does the church have any program that supports the local pregnancy care center? If there isn't a local pregnancy care center, although there typically are, but if there isn't, you know, what can the local church do to partner with other groups to provide that resource so that a woman in their very community who might consider abortion would uh, reject that as a result of the support she gets from the church community in, in her town. One of the groups that I feature in my new book is the Sisters of Life, one of Uh, My favorite order of nuns, but also favorite kind of pastoral approaches in the pro-life movement. And the Sisters of Life have created a vast network of lay people who partner with them as they minister to women who would otherwise consider abortion if it weren't for the support of the Sisters of Life and their network of of pro-life people. And so I think, you know, to partner with the Sisters of Life and say, how can we implement your strategy locally in our community is a great way for people to uh, very practically not only help those in crisis, but then concretely save lives. Okay, great. Now, sorry, I'm getting over a cold, so my apologies. We we get those even in Tucson, Arizona. So (laughs) (laughs) um, one of the things you also mentioned in your book is this this idea of the – the pro-life Eucharist connection. Now, yes. I, I, how would you, can you describe that for us, for those that may not be familiar? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, the connection I believe has always been there, but for me personally, it struck me when my daughter, who's now two, almost two and a half, uh, was about six months old, and my husband and I were at Mass, and um, she was fussing a bit, and so I would breastfeed on demand, so I put out my arms for my husband to pass her to me, And I sat down and began to breastfeed her. And as I was looking at her little face, at the exact moment I was looking down at her feeding on me, I'm listening to the liturgy continue. And that was the precise part of the mass where the priest lifts up the bread and says, 
you know, take and eat. This is my body, which is given up for you. And that bread, that host was to be transformed into the very body of Christ. And as I listened to those words, looking at my daughter who was literally consuming my flesh, it made me realize how much parenthood and motherhood in particular, but fatherhood too, is a laying down your life and a Eucharistic example of this is my body given for you. And obviously I experienced that through pregnancy, but then subsequently breastfeeding. And even now just being the mother of a toddler, so much of my days in my body is spent, you know, feeding her and cleaning her and lifting her up and taking her places. And it's a life of total surrender and self-sacrifice. And the greatest example of that is Jesus on the cross and then through giving his body in the Eucharist. And so I wanted to really make this connection because at the end of the day, um, although I believe someone who's not religious could come to the conclusion abortion is wrong from a human rights perspective, at the end of the day, um, our goal is heaven and we are pilgrims on a journey on this earth, but we're going somewhere and we want to go to heaven. And so to really incorporate this message of love that we're all called to, which is best demonstrated through Christ, is something I wanted to tie into the abortion debate, especially because as you know, the, the, the whole post row world is upon us and even pre, you know, pre Dobbs decision, we constantly heard my body, my choice, my body, my choice. Right. And I wanted to respond to that with the words of Christ, which is no, not my body, my choice. This is my body given for you. Wow. That's absolutely beautiful. And that makes a lot of sense. And I'll be honest, I've never heard that argument in the debate before. So just hearing, hearing you say that makes so much sense. And it's another, another uh, arrow in, in our weaponry, I guess you could say. Right, so, right. So what was the process like writing this book? Well, you know, the way, the way I have found writing to work for me is as I'm inspired or carve out time, even if I don't necessarily feel inspired in the moment, um, I gradually over time will sit down and write ideas as, as I feel the spirit has led me. And so I had spent a couple years jotting down different ideas and insights so that when I finally came to the point where I thought, I think I have enough content to kind of organize it and put it together in a book and then flesh it out even more, so much had already been written that I had a lot to work with, which for myself then helped me really drive it forward. And I feel incredibly blessed to have partnered with um, the St. Paul Center and their publishing company, Emmaus Road. They've just been marvelous to work with and have really um, really stood behind this book. And what I appreciate about them, especially as I have this Eucharistic theme and Eucharistic messages, there's my book that they're, you know, providing a platform for, but they, you know, through the work of and the writings of Scott Hahn and, um, you know, his writings on the Eucharist and conversion to Catholicism, I think if people read my book and then go to the publishing company, they'll see there's so much rich content that will further develop their ideas that speak to the heart of what humans are made for and will lead to human flourishing. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. So what feedback have you received on this book so far? I know it's been a, about a couple, couple weeks, two, three weeks since it's been released. What feedback have you received so far? Yeah. So I would say so far it's been very positive. I've uh, been blessed to do some, uh, you know, podcasts and media so far, and then some that is pre-recorded that's just about to be released in the next week uh, as we get to the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. 
So I'm excited to to get more responses, but certainly I've heard from people who have been very moved also by the personal anecdotes that, that I've included. Um, you know, I firmly believe that truth is truth whether you experience something or not. And, you know, one of the greatest minds on human sexuality is John Paul II, who was never married and was a celibate. So you don't necessarily have to experience something to have profound insight on it. And yet at the same time, experience does give us new levels of insight. And so, um, you know, I believe I contributed a lot in the pro-life movement over the 20 years where I had never experienced pregnancy or motherhood. But through this book, being able to now add to that experience, my own lived experiences of, of pregnancy and, and pregnancy loss and, 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 and successful pregnancies that go to term. Um, I think uh, people, various people have already commented that that's they, something they've appreciated. Now, a couple minutes ago, you discussed the Dobbs decision. So in, in your opinion, have we made um, strides in the pro-life movement, especially with some states going to more of the abortion up until birth timeframe? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, when we see some negative responses to something that is good, then we can be like, oh, my goodness, does that mean the good thing was bad? Uh, no, it just means that when good things happen, Satan gets extra angry. And, you know, yes, he tries yes. to he tries to uh, fight harder because he feels a greater threat. So I think we need to look at the decision as a decision that overturned Roe v. Wade declaring, you know, no longer declaring that there's some sort of federal constitutional right to abortion. That in itself is good and is a step in the right direction. Uh, unfortunately, yes, some people have responded negatively to that by, you know, broadening access to abortion in certain geographic areas. Uh, but that just is a reminder to all of us that the, the fight isn't over, that we still have work to do. And in my experience of, of friends and colleagues in the movement, there, most people I know realized that. They, they knew this was a moment to mm -hmm. celebrate, you know, a year and a half ago, but that it wasn't the end of the story, that they still had work to be done. Right, we still have work to do, and you mentioned the Sisters of Life, um, checking them out, checking checking out all the work they're doing and getting involved in your local parish. Um, what are some things that we could do in our own homes to foster that culture of life? Mm. Well, definitely, I think, you know, intentionally building the faith into our children. That is something that I've realized now as a mom, the, the many ways that I can incorporate talking about God praying to God, um, and and it just gets diffused into my daughter. So it's not even like, you know, so we have set prayer times as a family, and my husband and I will sing holy songs to her as we say to sleep and, and read what we call the holy books for her. Um, but it's not like I sit down and say, you must learn this. It's more just repetitive prayers and songs are now having an influence on her. So that the other day, actually... I heard my daughter just saying what sounded like just she sounded like she was saying, oh, my body, my body, my body. So I just responded by saying, oh, yes, you have a body. And then after I said that, I said, you are a body and a soul. And the moment I said that, no joke, she's two years old. She looked at me and she said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and that's because my husband and I routinely sing 
the prayer from the scriptures, the Magnificat, but there's a beautiful song version of it. And we sing that to her at night. So she's used to hearing that. But it was remarkable that her little mind could connect my one sentence, you are a body and a soul, to her memory, her recollection of that evening song. And then she declared it. And so it was like stuff is being diffused, you know, infused and then comes out of her um, just through normal everyday living, you know, taking her to mass. Um, and just she follows what she sees me do, you know, the, the bowing is, you know, to, to the altar and so on and so forth. So I think just being intentional in our homes about making the faith every part, an everyday part of our, our moments. I think something I've been reflecting a lot on is what was life like for Jesus growing up in Nazareth? You know, what were the days with Mary like when he was a child? And, you know, I think The Chosen, I love that series, but they do a really, they demonstrate well just the religious routine that the Jews had at that time, starting their day with prayer and, and a recitation of the Psalms. And even before people, many were literate, the, the, the teaching of, of words to say by word of mouth and then memorization and and it's like Jesus would have grown up with very simple routines that involved a reciting of the Psalms and a learning of the scriptures. And so we can do that too. Right. Again, our, our guest today is Stephanie Gray Connors, um, author of a fantastic new book by Emmaus Road, My Body for You, a pro-life message for a post-row world. I highly recommend everyone check out this book. It's a it's an amazing book. I admit I'm not completely finished with it yet, but when I do, I'll be a, I'll do a whole review over on my Pathos page. Um, but where can Stephanie? Where can we get the book? Yeah, great question. So going to stpaulcenter.com slash you is the best way to get it. And for your listeners, if they want a discount, they can put in the coupon code at that link for you 15 and then they'll get 15% off. So by going to stpaulcenter.com slash you, click order on the book. And then for coupon code, type in for you, F-O-R-Y-O-U, 15. Great. So check out the book and getting a discount folks to so go ahead and check it out. Let's learn more about how to defend a life. I mean, I think life is precious. I have four children of my own. One is in high school. One is in middle school. And I have, I have a uh, 10 year old twins and I oh, just wow. can't imagine, can't imagine my life without them. They've enriched my life so much. Um, and so I'm trying to teach them that culture of life, how life is precious from conception till natural death and, Sometimes those are, there are those hard, hard questions out there. And maybe we can end with this question. I know it's kind of a deep question. In my day job during the week, I teach middle school. I teach 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. I teach business to them. And they're bombarded with these abortion arguments, even at young ages. Right. How, can, how, can we, how can we um, give them these pro-life arguments on, on – I guess on a level they can understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, so because indeed they are hearing this stuff, I think one of the best ways to teach is what's known as the Socratic method and Socrates in his quest for truth taught people by asking questions. Because when you ask someone a question, what happens? Well, they immediately begin to think of the answer, which means they're thinking. Yeah. And one of the challenges we have 
when the abortion debate is discussed is too often people don't think. They don't think deeply. Uh, you mentioned you teach business. My husband's an economist, and one of the things he's taught to me about in the, in the world of economics is the importance of thinking beyond stage one. You know, someone will come up with an idea that they think is good, but you want to think, okay, if we implemented that, what's next? And then what seems like a good idea, if we think more deeply, might not actually be a good idea if we go beyond stage one. So when they hear a slogan, my body, my choice, or abortion is needed in cases of rape, we want to ask them, okay, if someone has a right to their own body, when does their body begin? The person who's pregnant and claiming they have a right to their body, did their body begin the day before? Did it begin five years before, when they were born, before they were born? What was that moment? And then you start that conversation. You know, if, if someone were to bring up abortion in cases of rape, we, you know, we can say, you know, that agree that that is a terrible evil that has occurred, that we need to have justice in response to that. The question is, who has committed the in, injustice? So who has committed the wrong and therefore we need to have justice towards? And the guilty party is the rapist. Uh, the preborn child, however, is an innocent party. And so once a woman is pregnant, the child is already in her body. We cannot, unfortunately, undo what the rapist did. So the question then becomes, do we take the child out dead or alive? What is the most ethical thing to a party which is an innocent party? Another question we can ask is, is it fair to give the death penalty to the innocent child? You know, that's a consequence we don't even give to the guilty party. Um, so asking questions that are going to provoke deeper thought in the mind of the person that we're engaging, I think is really important. And then relying on the um, powerful stories of people who have been in such situations and done the right thing. And then they become sources of inspiration that inspire others to, to do the right thing as well. But I think asking people questions is key. When you saw that TikTok video, we can ask, you know, a kid in the seventh grade that presented abortion as acceptable. Um, what did you find compelling about it? Um, where is the weakness in what you found compelling? Um, if someone responded with, you know, and again, I'm just giving general comments, but you find sure. something specific from the video or the statement and then ask them to unpack it and get them thinking more deeply. Great. Again, check out the book, everyone, stpaulcenter.com backslash my body for you. Stephanie, thank you so much on joining me today, taking some time out of your Saturday to talk about your book. Thank you for all the work you're doing out there. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. All right, folks, Stephanie Gray Connors, please check out her book. Um, you, It's going to strengthen your arguments for the to defend life. And thank you for joining me today on today's program. God bless you. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.